earlier, it'll be helpful for you to have that in front of you. We'll spend uh, sort of half of our time in that passage, and then we're going to branch out from there uh, into some other scriptures outside of that uh, also. I want to start with these powerful, stirring words from the Lord Jesus uh, that he spoke in John chapter 7 of the Holy Spirit. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now imagine that, cried out, a loud voice. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds this comment. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. I long to know the fullness of the goodness of what Jesus was speaking about in those verses. And it is the goal of this series to help us walk more fully in the goodness of everything Jesus was speaking about in these verses. It's our desire to know those flowing rivers of living water, that beautiful picture for the life-giving, indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit who gives us life and then ministers through us to bring life to others. We want that, do we not? Well, this is now our third week in our series in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're joining us for the first week, I want to recap what we've covered so far In week one, we looked at the worship of the Holy Spirit. We recognize that many of us carry a kind of vagueness about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And so the goal of that message was just to clarify that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third person of the Godhead, the Lord and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Then in week two, we looked at the works of the Holy Spirit, and I called it the wonderful works of the Spirit, part one. We identified some of the works attributed to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, works like empowering people for service, giving instruction, bringing comfort to God's people. We looked at the New Testament passages, seeing the Spirit's work in salvation, conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, His powerful work of bringing new spiritual life through regeneration, and then that work of indwelling where He comes to live within us. And we saw how Jesus said in John 16, 7, that it was better to have the Holy Spirit bringing His powerful life to us on the inside than on having Him, the Son, merely on the outside. And that's where we're going to pick up this week. I really want us to drill down a little bit at the start of this message into this truth of the indwelling 
of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I want us to appreciate on a whole new level the significance of the truth that God dwells within his people. We are the temple of the living God, and the living God dwells within us. That is mind-blowing. So we're going to walk down through John 14, 15 to 27. It's going to be the first half of the message. We're going to see how Jesus speaks of the ministry of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then what we're going to do in the second half of the message is we're just going to consider seven ways that the Holy Spirit ministers to us from within in our day-to-day lives. So first of all, let's look at how Jesus speaks of the indwelling of the Spirit in John 14, 15 to 27. I'm going to draw out three affirmations about the Spirit from these verses. It'll be very simple, it's very profound, but I hope that God's Spirit will just illuminate afresh how special this work of indwelling is. So, affirmation one. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us walk in obedience to Christ's commands. If you look down at John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now that's Jesus' summary of discipleship there. Here is the life of the Christian, the goal of the Christian, to walk in obedience to all the commands of Jesus. We sometimes refer to that as bringing our whole lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't want to just live for ourselves. We want to understand what Jesus wants us to do, and we want to live our whole lives under his lordship. Do you remember that's exactly what Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel when he gave the great commission to the disciples? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching those disciples to obey all that I have commanded you. We are called to walk in the obedience of faith. That's discipleship. What are Jesus' commands? Well, there are many, but summarized by Jesus himself in the Gospels, Jesus says, here's the centerpiece of all the commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus knows in John 14, 15, if we're going to do this, we need help. And so he continues in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus was our first helper. As he returns to the Father, he's going to send another helper like him, the Holy Spirit. So in the context here, Jesus is clearly saying the Holy Spirit will be given to help you walk in obedience to my commands. You cannot do it on your own. Affirmation two. The Holy Spirit conducts this helping ministry from within each believer. In John 14, 17, Jesus says, 
The world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Now, the world in John's gospel means unbelievers, non-Christians, those who do not savingly trust in Jesus. So there's a little point we can make here clearly. The way you get the Holy Spirit living within you is by believing in Jesus. No Jesus, no indwelling Spirit. Jesus continues speaking to the disciples, you know him. Do you see that there in verse 17? You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now that really challenged me when I read that. Jesus saying to the disciples, you know him. You know the Holy Spirit. You know him for he dwells with you and he'll be in you. And I've just been asking myself this week, do I know him? Do I know the character and the person of the Holy Spirit? Do I know about him or do I know him? Do I know his presence, his power, his ministry, communion with him, fellowship with him? Jesus says to the disciples, you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's helping ministry, helping you to obey the commands, it's going to be a ministry that he conducts from within the soul of every believer. It's going to be an inside job, so to speak. And you see, this is the fulfillment of so many of the great Old Testament promises about how we would be helped in the new covenant by the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to God's ways. For example, in Ezekiel 36, 24, God speaks and says, I will take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's God saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and he's going to urge you. There's going to be an implantation of new urges, new affections, so that you'll want to walk in obedience to God's commands. So the Holy Spirit will help us by creating new affections for God, new longings for obedience, a desire to honor the Lord. By nature, those desires do not rise up in us because of our fallen state. So God has to plant the Holy Spirit and put new life in us and new desires for holiness. Affirmation number three. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit binds us into a very intimate union with our triune God. In verse 18 of our passage, John 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now later on we're going to think of how the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. So the, the language Jesus uses here, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. We know Jesus is not referring to his second coming here. He is speaking of the Holy Spirit's coming into them as the act whereby he also comes into them in a new way. The Spirit of the risen Lord Jesus comes to dwell 
within the believers. Jesus is so one with the Holy Spirit that the Spirit's indwelling can also be said to be Christ's indwelling his people. Now, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are still distinct, but they are so together that the Holy Spirit's moving in to the soul of man and woman can be spoken of as Christ coming to indwell his people. When the Holy Spirit enters the soul of a believer, he brings the risen Christ and the Father with him. Look at John 14, verse 20. Jesus goes on to say, In that day you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, you know those little Russian dolls you get? This is not a perfect illustration, so don't grab me afterwards and push it too far. You know those wee Russian dolls? They're all red and nice colors. And you open one up, and what's inside? Another wee one. And then you open it up, and there's another one inside. And you open it up, and it just keeps going and going. One inside the other, inside the other. In John 17, 21, Jesus says, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Here in verse 20 of John 14, in that day, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, you'll know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. We call this the mutual indwelling of the persons of the Godhead. Now, that's a big theological mouthful. The mutual indwelling of the persons of the Godhead. The technical theological term is perichoresis. Not that you're going to want to know that. The point is the Son and the Spirit dwell in the Father. The Father and the Spirit dwell in the Son. The Father and the Son dwell in the Spirit. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit coming in to dwell in you will mean that I and the Father will be in you and you will be in us. In verse 23, in the context of speaking of the Spirit indwelling, Jesus says that he and the Father will come and make their home in the believer. Now, this brings us to another goal of the indwelling of the Spirit. I said he he indwells us to help us walk in obedience to Jesus' commands, but he also indwells us to bring us into a deep experience of union and communion with God a deep experience of fellowship with God. Think of the language Jesus uses. I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. That is true. And we embrace that by faith. By faith, you receive this almost incomprehensible reality. The Spirit of God lives within me, and he brings Christ, the risen Christ, within me, and the Father within me. Now, in John 15, the next chapter, Jesus goes on to use an illustration to help us understand this, because it is almost incomprehensible. He uses a picture of the vine and the branches, or a tree and a branch, Jesus says in John 15 that trusting in Jesus, when you trust savingly in Jesus, you're like a branch being plugged into a tree. And all the power and the life-giving sap and life system of the tree, it flows into that branch. 
So that branch becomes alive and can be fruitful. All the life-giving power of the tree being drawn up from the roots, it just passes into that branch that's in the vine. Jesus uses that illustration to help us understand when we become Christians, we don't become divine, don't get me wrong, but the life of God in a real way enters and fills the soul of man. That's how you become spiritually alive. Now, how do we apply that? Sometimes in application, you're saying, right, go and do this, or go and think like this, or stop doing this. I think the only way you can apply this truth is to marvel at it and pray for comprehension. Take this in for a moment. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God indwells his people by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are the temple of the living God not just corporately, individually. More personally, Paul speaks of this in Colossians 1.27 as a glorious mystery, a glorious mystery. The glorious mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I say that that's more personal because it's not just we are the temple of the living God, and, and that is true. As believers gather together, God dwells within his people. But this is singular, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Think of this. Just try to think of this. Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God dwells in me in some glorious, mysterious way. The life of God is in your soul, bringing you spiritual life, creating urgings to walk with God, making you want to read your Bible, making you want to be at church, where, where by yourself you would not want to do any of that. The life of God in the soul of man there's a longing for true north continually, each person of the Godhead longing for the fullness of fellowship. Is it any wonder that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that we would be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in our inner being so that we could comprehend the glorious reality of the indwelling Christ? And do you remember what he prayed then? I pray that you'd know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I long for that, the fullness of that reality, the experience of that reality. So this is how God will help us to walk in obedience to him and enjoy fellowship with him according to Jesus. And I find it so, so deeply encouraging that the Lord has not just left us to figure it out on our own. Jesus says, I'm going to return to the Father, but you've got to walk in obedience to my commands while you wait for my return, and I'm giving you a helper to be with you in that, the Holy Spirit. 
Now, his ministry is subtle. We said this before. Like a floodlight that floodlights Jesus and floodlights the Father, you don't often stop and say, wow, look at that floodlight. It's amazing. And yet there is enough in Scripture so that we can look at the bloodlighting ministry of the Spirit and every now and again just stop and appreciate the beauty of his ministry and his person. So that's the first half of our message, the indwelling of the Spirit according to Jesus in John 14. But now what I want to do for the second half of the, the, the uh, message is just go outside of John 14 partially and let's see specifically what does he do from within? How does the Holy Spirit help us to walk in obedience to Jesus? And so I want to answer that by just looking at seven wonderful works. Seven wonderful works the Holy Spirit performs from within to help us grow and mature as we live under the Lordship of Christ. So take these in, and as we work through them, just be asking, how am I experiencing this? Or am I knowing the Spirit and His help in this way? First way the Holy Spirit helps us. He unites believers together in the body of Christ, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, remember John the Baptist's words at the start of his ministry at the beginning of the Gospels. He said often, I will baptize you with water, but he coming after me, Jesus, will do what? Baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes believers in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit simultaneously washes us, regenerates us, and unites us to Christ. That is, He joins us to Christ's body, the universal church. Think about this for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, we had a water baptism here at the church. Don't miss this part of the sign of baptism. The person doing the baptism, so I was baptizing Joel Hames a couple of weeks ago. The person doing the baptism, that person signifies Christ. Baptism is first signifying Jesus Christ's work of baptizing a believer in the Holy Spirit. That is a picture, a beautiful picture of Christ putting someone into the Spirit and the Spirit puts that person into Christ. And the Spirit fills them. Not in the act of water baptism. The baptism is a symbol, a dramatization of what Christ has done in baptizing someone in the Spirit, bringing them new life, saving them. But here's what I want to think about under this point. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says it's in one spirit we were all baptized, that is baptized by Jesus, into one body. 
We were all made to drink of one Spirit. The Spirit's first act is to bind us into a community of believers, the church. His goal is not just to help us grow individually, but to grow as part of a body, the body of Christ, the church, so that it all grows together. And there's a real important point to derive from this. How important must community be for our growth? The Spirit binds us together so that we are one body of believers in Christ. How important must community be for our growth and our walking in obedience to Jesus? So the Spirit creates a unity by binding us together. In Ephesians 4.3, we read this. We are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We don't create the unity, we maintain the unity that the Spirit has created. This is a place of blessing where I can share meaningful fellowship with believers and learn to walk in obedience to Jesus in the community that the Holy Spirit has created when we were baptized into Christ, baptized by Christ into the Spirit. So we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So think of this. We're united together in Christ. We do not want to be divisive, damaging the Spirit's unity that he created. We never want to be divisive. That doesn't mean we can't speak and can't give feedback and share things we'd like to do as a church or things we're struggling with, the way we're doing them. That's okay. But we never want to be going behind each other's backs and sowing seeds of discord and division. That would be grieving the Spirit. Second work the Holy Spirit uh, does from within, he teaches us by illuminating Scripture and speaking through his Word. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he'll bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Here's another passage from Paul, 1 Corinthians 2.12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why have we received that spirit? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. You want to understand the glorious, deep truths of the gospel, all the things you've been freely given by God, you want to understand them more, you want to go deeper into them, you need the Holy Spirit to just keep opening your comprehension, opening your affections to appreciate, opening and enlarging your heart so that you can just be more thrilled with all the good things that you have in Christ. Our son Elliot is sitting at the moment um, uh, getting ready to sit his 11 plus tests in November. And Lindsay and I have been sitting with him, helping to teach him as he seeks to understand his work. Every now and again, he gets stuck and he can't understand it. And I have a look, and then I call Lindsay, and she has a look. The goal is we sit there to help him with his comprehension. Every time you open your Bible, you have the greatest theologian in the universe sitting with you to help you understand. By faith, receive that. By faith, 
see it. Know it. You cannot see the glory of God without the illumination of the Spirit. You cannot see it. He puts like spiritual lenses and you can see. You think and you read and you say, Holy Spirit, make this live to me. And he delights to do that. He delights to glorify the Son. John 16, 14. He will glorify me, Jesus said. For he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. Now, you receive that by faith. How do you experience that? I don't know any other way to say it. You receive it by faith. You're sitting there with your Bible and you want to see glory and your heart's feeling dull and you want to just pray, Lord, I receive but right now the reality of the ministry of the Spirit to help me see, to help me feel, to help me know this. Our job is to be attentive, to be open so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There is a way to have your ears more opened and less opened. And so we want to pray that the Lord would open our ears and help us to be tuned in to the frequency of God's Spirit as He speaks through His Word. Through the day, the Spirit brings to our remembrance certain scriptures that can guide us in different situations we're in. He ministers to us through His Word. He teaches us and He helps us. Three, He speaks assurance to our hearts that we are genuine children of God. The key passage here is Romans 8, 15 to 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does this work out in real life tomorrow? I think in three ways the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. First, he provides evidences, objective evidences that we are God's children. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. It's not perfection, Are we seeing growth in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are the evidences, the fruit of the Spirit being at work within us, are we seeing those evidences on the branch of our lives? More subjectively, a second way the Spirit testifies with our spirit is he authenticates the truths of Scripture. Kind of like what we've just been saying. There's an inward sense of the truth that applies to us. He authenticates the truth of Scripture. As we read, it's just this spirit bearing witness. This is true. This is authoritative. This is real. Thirdly, he causes to rise in our hearts the cry, Abba, Father. The longing for the Father. A longing in our hearts to know intimacy with the Father. In Galatians 6, 6, we read, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Spirit's testifying 
in a quiet, subjective way that is real, just quietly speaking to our souls, you're a son. And there's a longing for intimacy with the Father. And that encourages my heart greatly. That's how we look for assurance. We fix our eyes on the Word and ask the Spirit to authenticate it, to help us believe it, to receive it as truth by faith. And then we seek that inward experience of the Spirit testifying with our spirit, you belong to God. That that is one of the wonderful works of the Spirit from within. He helps us with assurance. Four, He empowers our fight against sin and our pursuit of Christ-likeness. Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, if you try to make progress in the fight against your sin by any other way than by the Spirit, you will not get far. In verse 5 of Romans 8, Paul says that to grow in Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness, we must learn to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And in the context, that means the things he has spoken in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the sword of the Spirit used by the Spirit to cut back the ever-growing thorns of sin. How can you flourish if that sword is never weed-whacking? Remember what Jesus said in the parable of the sower? There's a seed that's sown in the soil and it's going up well, but then the thorns and the pressures and the cares of life, they just choke the word and make it unfruitful. The Spirit's work is to help cut back those thorns, to help you flourish and be fruitful. That's the negative side of the Spirit's work, as in he helps us put to death sin, helps us fight sinful temptations, but there's a positive side to this that is seen in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." To drop that all down into something that we can really comprehend, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that we become like what we behold. So you behold the glory of Jesus in the Word, the Gospel, the truth of all that you have in Christ. And as you behold that, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life to transform you from one degree of glory to another. He glorifies you, steadily makes you more like Jesus. That comes from the Spirit. So the Spirit, on the one hand, is helping you kill sin, those old habits, fighting porn and sexual immorality and temptation. You can't do it by yourself. You need the Spirit. But then on the other side, He's not just 
cutting and chiseling and fighting off. He's painting and he's robing and he's dressing you in all of the fruit and the righteousness of Christ. And you receive that by faith. What's our response to that work? Total dependence on the Spirit. Fifth way that he helps us from within, this is beautiful, he helps us in our weakness. Who among us do not at times feel weak? In Romans 8, 26, we read, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When you've been so grieved that you couldn't pray, or so lazy that you didn't bother to pray, who was making sure that intercession went up unbroken? Your mighty helper, the Holy Spirit. He's done more for you than you could ever imagine. Six, he grows our experience of gospel graces. I love this. Hope, love, joy, and peace. Listen very carefully to these words. Carefully to these words. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, I long to know more hope. I want to be more hopeful about Christ's second coming. I want to be more hopeful about the power of the gospel reaching unreached peoples today. I just want to wake up tomorrow and be full of hope, not full of anxiety and fear. How do you access that hope? How do you abound in hope? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is a world of resources for us here in the Spirit. I want to abound with joy and peace in believing. How do I access that? I receive it by faith. I say, I know, Father, that through the Son, you've given me your Spirit. And part of the ministry of the Spirit is to, from within, help me to abound with joy and peace and hope. I receive that from the Spirit this morning by faith. And you trust he's working it within you. Or Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you're battling with anxiety. You're battling with guilt. You're battling with assurance. You need the Holy Spirit the intensity of his ministry just to be turned up. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to know the power of the Spirit as he brings righteousness and peace and joy into your heart as a felt experience and a felt reality. The Spirit's ministry is to bring the very presence and power and love of God into our hearts and lives. We receive that by faith. Seventh and finally then, he empowers our service in the church by giving gifts to every believer so that they can serve for the good of the whole body. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, 
Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Listen to how often you hear the word Spirit in this passage, by the way. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I just love how personal that is. This is not an abstract force. This is not just a random power. He has a will. He has a gift. And he says, I'm going to apportion this gift to this person and empower it for the good of the body. Now, it would take another series to work through all of these gifts. I'm going to have a question and answer midweek in November where we can address lots of questions about this series. Um, But for now, the point in this passage is very clear. These gifts for the good of the church are sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit for the common good. We should earnestly desire to walk in all of them. Now, you may have questions about that, and we can discuss that, but we're going to pick up from here next week and think of what it means to walk in the Spirit more in our day-to-day lives. We've looked at the worship of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit, part one, and now today, part two, and then we're going to look at walking in the Spirit next week. And if I'm on track, we will finish off next week. And that'll set us up then for a midweek, uh, mid-November, where uh, there will be a question box in the back of church from next week, and you'll be able to submit your questions to that, and I'll do my best to answer them at that midweek. But for now, what I want to do is just close and just, just let this be applied. Like Bring it to bear on us this morning just in these final few moments. And I want to do that by just asking a few questions. I started with those words of Jesus from John 7 about the Spirit being like rivers of living water flowing and bringing life to God's people. Those seven wondrous works that I've just spoken of, those are the rivers of living water flowing within, bringing life to the Christian, helping us to walk with Jesus and enjoy Jesus. Here are the questions I want you to reflect on in closing this morning. First, are these gifts and graces flowing through you like living water? Do you know the illuminating help of the Spirit? Do you know the Word alive to you? Are you spiritually alive? Or are you like a stagnant, stinking pool? I want to be alive. And God has given us everything we need to be alive. Not to be half-hearted in our Bible reading. Not to be half-hearted in prayer. Not to want to watch the TV more than we want anything else. Not to be drifting away. There's so much more for us. We're to be alive spiritually, loving the Lord, loving His Word, loving missions, having a heart for what His heart cares about in the world. We're not to be half-baked, half-hearted, lazy people. And yet we do struggle so much 
So, so often we are in need of the life-giving power of the Spirit. Too often we suffer parched lives and we forget that we are to be experiencing the streams of living water flowing from within. Even now, just be saying, Oh Lord, send the rain, send the water, send your Spirit to empower me on a whole new level. I want more, Lord. More assurance, more comprehension of the glory of Christ, more affection for Jesus. I want more love for other people. Let's seek his power to change our character so that we are conformed to the likeness of Christ. Second question, and third, do you know and appreciate the Holy Spirit? The key word there is appreciate. It's been my longing in this series that we would recognize as Baptists, we don't need to be afraid of the Spirit over here and ignore, Spirit ignoring, but we don't need to go way over into this extreme charismatic movement way over here and lose our moorings in the Word. We want to be healthy and in the middle. We want to know and enjoy communion with the Spirit and appreciate His ministry in our midst, how much we need Him as a church. And we want to be open to all the ways He works to build up the church, not grieving Him, not quenching Him, not hindering Him. Do you appreciate the Holy Spirit? Do you appreciate that the only way you'll make progress in the Christian life is by the Spirit? Then third, sorry, it's already up there, um, are you living in dependence on the Holy Spirit? Are you depending on Him sufficiently for evangelism, for everything? How do we express that dependence? How do we grow in our appreciation? How do we know and walk in the Holy Spirit more? Well, that's what we're going to look at next week. Ephesians 5:18, we're given a command: be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Therefore, we can be more filled or less filled. I wonder if you were to think of your phone battery, you know, 100%, my wee battery says it's full, but sometimes it goes right down to like 2% and you're panicking. It's always the moment where you have the emergency. If, if that was a kind of an indicator of, of your level being filled with the Spirit, this is not perfect. I wonder, would you be like kind of near the 100% or would you be right down on 1% in fumes? Be filled with the Holy Spirit is a command so you can be more filled and less filled. We want to be Spirit-filled people. So pray with me in closing this prayer. Let's now close in prayer. O Lord, let the streams of living water, the life-giving water of the Spirit, flow into me. And may that life-giving water flow through me so that I can not just be blessed, but also be a blessing to others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond now by singing the most beautifully crafted prayer.
to the Holy Spirit. This is theologically rich because it sings into the works of the Spirit. And it is a beautiful invitation expressed from the believer for the Spirit to come and work new life in us. So let's respond and sing to the Lord. Let's stand and praise him together.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.